Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. Simeon was steeped in all the traditions of Israel, and yet was willing, even seeking, a new word from God. Besides what we read here, we really don't know anything else about this character by the name of Simeon, a common name. And while no one else in Israel really knew the time or the season when God would send his Messiah, Simeon knew, or at least he could ascertain with some accuracy the probable time of the birth of this baby. I don't know when God promised it. I don't know how God promised it. But at some point, in some way, Simeon had been promised by Yahweh himself that Simeon would not die until he had seen the Lord's anointed. Was he often standing on the steps of the temple, scanning the faces of babies and wondering, is, is this the one? No, maybe it's this one. Is that the one? Is this the Messiah? One day, on a holy day like no other day, the Holy Spirit, like the wind, literally drove Simeon to the temple and said, that's him. That's the one, Simeon. That's the special one. That's the Messiah, my greatest gift. I picture him as an elderly gentleman who sort of springs himself on the young couple coming to the temple for the dedication. He reaches out and grabs the baby away from Mary. People always reach out and grab babies, don't they? Even without the mother's permission, just reached out and grabbed the baby. Simeon's old face was as well-lined as a street map of Jerusalem. His face crinkles there's a wide grin as he takes the holy child into his hands. We all know the wonder of holding a new baby. But this wasn't an ordinary baby. This is the one for whom Simeon had been waiting his whole life. Scripture says that when at last he held the baby that Simeon threw back his head and began to sing a cappella. Some think he prepared the song for years so he'd have it ready on the top of his mind, on the tip of his tongue. When he finally at last held the holy child, he would be ready. But no, I don't think that for one minute. I think it was spontaneous, spirit-inspired exclamation and song. History has named Simeon's song the Nuke Dimittis. It means now dismiss. I'm ready to die, he said. Now dismiss the first words in the Latin translation. Maybe the baby reached up and grabbed his old scruffy beard, his babies tend to do. Simeon and Anna were waiting for the Messiah for a new word from God. Tim Hans tells a story about a Native American 
He was visiting one of his close friends in Manhattan. They were walking down one of the busy avenues at Christmas time when suddenly the Native American stopped and said, whoa, did you hear that? His friend said, hear what? He said, I heard a cricket. The New Yorker said, now, wait a minute. Here we are walking down a busy street in Manhattan and all the horns are honking and the taxi tires are squealing. You can't possibly hear a cricket here. The Native American just waited at the cross and went across the street. And on the corner, the opposite corner, there was a planter with a little tree. And he turned over the leaves and said, there you are, little fella. Come here. His friend was utterly dumbfounded. All said the Native American, your ears are no different from my ears. It all depends on what you're listening for. That moment, the Native American took out a pocket full of coins and threw them on the sidewalk, and every head within a block turned. It all depends on what you're listening for. Amidst all the cacophony of our Christmas confusion, it's hard sometimes to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit who says to us, like he said to Simeon, this is the one. This is the holy child. My son, treasure his presence. Behold my salvation. Look at verse 21 through 27. Now, when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. First thing I want you to see, the Spirit reveals the Son as Savior. The Spirit reveals the Son as Savior. In verses 25 through 27, look how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The end of verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And then verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 27, the Holy Spirit, he came upon him under the temple. Actress B.B. Newworth, best known as Lilith, Frazier's wife on Cheers, says that when she was born, the doctor who delivered her announced, it's a girl. And then he paused and said, and she's a dancer. Now, Newworth didn't know. Maybe it was the long legs that led to that label from the physician. She didn't know. Maybe the doctor had a premonition about her future based on something else. We can't be sure, but B.B. Newworth is a dancer and grew up to be a dancer. It's a girl, and she's a dancer. This story unfolds. Forty days after the birth of Jesus, it's an after-Christmas story. 
Jesus had been circumcised and given the name that the angel himself had assigned, they traveled to the temple the five miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It says here in the text they were going up to Jerusalem. Actually, that Bethlehem's a little bit higher than Jerusalem, but metaphorically, when one goes to Jerusalem, one is always going up to God's house. It took him up, the Spirit did. Verse 24, when the author tells us that there were only two birds, pigeons or turtle doves that were sacrificed, the author is revealing to us the poverty of the young husband and wife. For the law of Leviticus called for a lamb and a bird, but there was a poor provision. If one were really poor and Joseph took the poor provision, then only two turtle doves or pigeons were demanded I think this in itself is a sign, if you're doing the chronology of the story, that the Magi had not yet arrived from the east bringing the gifts of great value. If they had those gifts, they could have afforded the lamb. Those were the gifts from the Magi that sustained them in their flight to Egypt as they ran from Herod's sword. Have you noticed there's never a place for Simeon and Anna and the Nativity? Never. In fact, you go our near-life-size nativity set. It's opened again this morning. We have biblical characters there. In fact, we have some imaginary additions conceived in the minds of the artisans who make this nativity set. But there is no Simeon in there. There is no Anna in there. The kings are all there, all three of them. They're bringing their gifts. Why do they get to be there? They show up way after Simeon and Anna, but we always have the three kings and their gifts. Simeon amongst the very first to, to hold the baby Jesus and Anna, the preacher of the gospel, who said, this is the one she'd waited so long in the temple well, left out of the nativity set and seldom a source for sermons, but not today. Today is Simeon's day and Anna's day, the just after Christmas characters. Earlier in this gospel, we have an account of John the Baptist's circumcision and his naming, followed by prophetic statements about all the ways he'll be used for the kingdom of God. In like fashion and parallel writing, Luke tells us here about Jesus' naming and Jesus' consecration. And we have this praise from Simeon and a foretelling of the destiny that this one is the chosen child. Now notice... Simeon is described as a righteous man, verse 25. This man was righteous. Now, righteous is not a word that Luke uses very often. Have you noticed? Now, Simeon was a common name, but Simeon was an uncommon character, for he was righteous. In fact, a few times it's used for Zacharias and Elizabeth in chapter 1. And then the other time someone is called righteous in Luke's gospel is all the way at the end in chapter 23. It's Joseph of Arimathea, the one who takes the body of our Lord off the cross and places the body of our Lord in his unused tomb. Joseph of Arimathea. Well, I want you to listen. Don't turn to it for time's sake, but listen to Luke 23. And behold, a man named Joseph was a member of the council, that's the Jewish Sanhedrin, 
a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their plan of action, meaning he didn't condone the crucifixion of Jesus. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea, at the end of the gospel, is righteous, and he's been waiting on the kingdom of God. At the beginning of the story, it's Simeon, who's righteous, who's waiting on the holy child, like bookends to the story. Two righteous men in Luke's gospel, waiting for the kingdom, waiting on the Messiah. Waiting for the Savior. You can read the New Testament sometimes a hundred times and never catch that Luke uses the word righteous with two characters, the two characters who are waiting on the Lord. Now the shepherds, the shepherds knew who Jesus was because they had a sign. Behold, we bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Yeah, the, the shepherds found him, but the shepherds had a physical sign. The manger and the scrap clothing. And then the Magi, the wise men, they knew because they followed a star, another sign. It led them right to the place of the holy child. But for Simeon and for Anna, it was different. It was the insight of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't an exterior sign, but an inward revelation. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. Well, there's a second thing I want you to see. One word can change everything. One word can change everything. The word is now. Look at verse 29. Now, Lord, this is his song. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. One word, now, changes everything. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart. He calls himself a doulos, a slave in the Greek text. Now, in your translation, the word now, like in the NIV, is interior to the sentence. That's unfortunate. In the Greek text, the word now is the first word, now. Now that I've held the baby, now that I know he's here, now. Now is the driving word. Lord, dismiss thy servant. The words in Latin, now dismiss. Lord, I'm ready to die. You told me before I died, I would behold your son, and here he is. Now I'm ready to die. I've seen your salvation. And notice, even in his a cappella song that the old man declares, it's not just for Israel, but for all people. Notice. It echoes Isaiah 52.10. It's all people for whom the Messiah comes. Now, the Gentiles, he's a light. 
because they didn't have the revelation. The Jews already had the revelatory word, the prophets, and they didn't need more revelation. They just need the glory. But to the Gentiles, they needed the light. They needed revelation. But unto the people of Israel, simply the revelation was already there, and they needed the glory. So notice how he distinguishes between the two that it is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. They didn't have the prophets. And the glory of thy people Israel, they already had the prophets. They just needed the presence of the glory already promised. Now Mary and Joseph marvel at the things that have been said about their son. How did he know? Who had told Simeon about the special holy circumstances around the birth of their boy. They were astonished in this gospel. When someone's astonished, it is a marker for the working of God. In Luke 1, 63, we're told the crowd is astonished when Zacharias is unable to speak for his lack of faithfulness. And he writes on the tablet, you shall call him John. The people are astonished. Or again in Luke 2, 18, when the shepherds declare what they had found, the Bethlehem baby in the manger, it says, all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds, astonished, amazed, wondering, all Lucan words for the result of the intervention of God. It calls us to attention. There's a third thing I want you to notice. Upon the birth of the Bethlehem baby, you will either rise or fall. Upon the birth of the Bethlehem baby, you will either rise or fall. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your soul, Mary, to the end that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, who's the daughter of Phanuel, a tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then now as a widow, 84 years. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers At that very moment, she came and began to speak, giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking at the redemption of Israel. His presence brings the rise or the fall of each one of us. In verse 35, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now, five times Luke uses this construction of the gospel and it expects a negative response. Read it that way. When Jesus comes, people will really know who you are. Now that we know who he is, it will be revealed who you are. What's at your heart? When Jesus comes, people will really know who we are. For some, the coming of Jesus is good news of great joy. But to those who reject him, he is a stumbling stone. For the humble and the poor, it's a positive word of salvation. For the haughty and the rich, it's negative, it's judgment. Always the coming of Jesus is a two-edged sword, is it not? Mary, 
even your soul will be pierced. Here she comes, the dedication, 40 days after the birth of her son. Her heart is leaping for joy, and the old man who gives thanks turns and says, Mary, even your heart will be pierced. Simeon looks forward in time to the occasion when Mary herself stands at the foot of the cross of her son. And remember, at that moment, she knows nothing of a resurrection to come three days later. Can you imagine, moms, can you imagine being at the foot of the cross of your son, your child crucified, knowing nothing of the glory of the resurrection he'll receive? And there Mary is. Mary, even your heart will be pierced with this story. Fourth thing, you know the baby is here. You will not keep it a secret. Well, you know the baby's here. You won't keep it a secret. I want you to see this in the story of Simeon and Anna. This one comes with Anna, the old woman. Now, your text may say she's 84 years of age. Now, that may be right, but there's different ways to read this construction. You could read it another way. It said she had been married for seven years. Let's say she got married at age 14. Seven years, she's age 21. If she is a widow for another 84 years, then our Anna is not 84. She is a 105. No way, you say. I can give you the phone number of a lady who's 105 right now. Yes, there is a way. So look at it that way. Maybe Anna's 105 years of age. She goes to the temple, and it says she prays all the time. It's a powerful ministry. I know elderly ladies that do that too. That's their calling, their ministry. They pray, and Anna is a prayer. When she saw Jesus, she too just begins giving thanks to God. She spoke to everyone who was looking for the redemption of God. There you have it. Nobody's going to go home and carve out a Simeon or an Anna and put them in the nativity. Go home and see if those characters are in your crash. I can tell you they're absent. I don't know why, but nobody ever tells their story. You can always tell the kings by their crowns and their gifts and the nativity. You can always tell the shepherds by their sheep. But who would notice a wrinkled old man and an aged old woman who had longed more than the wise men or the shepherds for the redemption, the salvation of Israel? Will Williman once chaplain at Duke University tells a story of a phone call he received one day. It was from a very irate student's father. The caller, when Williman answered the phone, exploded on the other end of the line, telling Will furiously, I hold you personally responsible for what's happening to my daughter. Yes, I do. He was angry because his Graduate school-bound daughter had changed her mind and in the, the father's words, had decided to throw her whole life away and go do missions work 
in Haiti with the Presbyterian Church. The father screamed, isn't that absurd? I pay for my daughter to have a bachelor's degree from Duke University. Is she going to dig ditches in Haiti with that degree? I hold you responsible for this, he reiterated. Willimon said, why me? The father said, you ingratiated yourself to her, filled her mind with all this religion stuff, and now she's throwing her life away and going to dig ditches in Haiti. Willimon paused for, paused for a moment and said to the father, well, weren't you the one who actually had her baptized when she was little? Well, yeah, 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 yes, I did. And didn't you take her to Sunday school when she was a little girl to learn the stories of faith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took her to Sunday school. And didn't you allow her to go to those youth ski trips to Colorado when she was in high school when they had those Bible devotions? Yeah, 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 we did. But what does that have to do with anything? Sir, you're the reason she's throwing it all away. You are the one who introduced her to Jesus, not me. But the father protested, all we wanted her to be was a Presbyterian. <laughs> Will Williman, who has an instinct for the jugular, replied, well, sorry, sir, you messed up. You didn't get a Presbyterian. You got a follower of Jesus. And she's going to do work with the Presbyterian church. Being a disciple's a big decision. And with the birth of this Bethlehem baby, yes, he's here, but because he's here, the hearts of everyone will be revealed. He comes for the rise or the fall for all of us. You're either his or you're not. He either causes you to rise or upon him you will stumble. Either it's for you this morning, good news of great joy, or he threatens you like he threatened Herod. He unsettles you like he unsettled the Pharisees. The word is now. Now, verse 29. Now, Lord. Now. The baby at last is here. And because he died and rose again, like Simeon, we too are ready to die. Let us pray. Oh God, there is no neutral ground when the Messiah arrives. He will either save us or judge us. He will either give us eternal life or eternal death. All the hearts are revealed when he arrives. May we join Simeon and Anna amongst those who now are ready to live life and ready to live life forever because he's here. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.